0: It can be tricky being a minister's kid because sometimes things you do become a sermon introduction. It's also hard being a minister's parent because sometimes you become a sermon introduction. My parents are teachers. Uh, My dad worked as a high school ag teacher. One of the things this meant is our fridge and freezer was often full of produce from the school farm. Now, if you've ever bought the strawberries from Gimpy High, you might think, wow, that's fantastic, because they're delicious. But it was a bit different for us growing up. Uh, Like Gimpy High, the best produce was sold to the public. The stuff that didn't quite make the grade, it was sold to other staff at school. But the produce no one wanted, that's what we got. And there was often loads of it. I'm pretty sure my sister still can't go near a cob of corn. Now, I've got to be clear, especially in the light of what we're about to hear in Malachi, my parents didn't do this out of disdain for their children. They had a hungry tribe to feed, and it may not have been the tastiest or had the nicest texture, but it was good, healthy veggies on our plate. But in Malachi's day, what we're hearing in God's word today God's people were offering their worst to God, not out of necessity, but out of callous contempt. So make sure you've got your Bible open to Malachi 1. That's page 669 of the church Bibles. And let's hear the way God's people and priests, let's hear how they're showing contempt for their loving God and giving him, by giving him, their worst. So verse 6, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honours his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Uh, The law, the law given through Moses to Israel, the Jewish law was really clear on what was an appropriate sacrifice. Sacrificial offerings were central to Israel's relationship with God. The Bible's clear. Because of sin, people are unable to be in God's presence. We are unacceptable. We are unworthy of God. But by his grace, God gave Israel a system of sacrifices and offerings the offerings were for atonement, they were a way for forgiveness. The offerings were for thankfulness, they were a way of recognising God's provision and saying thanks. The law of Moses gave very clear commands about sacrifices. And one of the things that's really clear is you, you don't give God your worst, you give him the best. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Leviticus 22 says, Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured or the maimed, or anything with warts, or festering, or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. It's there in black and white, super clear, don't bring roadkill. Don't offer a cow that's got a limp and probably won't survive her next calf. Don't sacrifice the runt of the litter. None of that's acceptable. And Malachi says, you you know this is true. It's not how you would treat the governor. If the Prime Minister or the King said, I'm coming to your place for dinner, you don't put out the paper plates. You don't cook steaks that have gone a little bit green and smelly. You put on your best show. That's not what God's people are doing. They give God their worst. And they're not just doing this for some dinner party for God. Remember, sacrifices are given because God's people, we need God's forgiveness and what do they expect to get when they show contempt verse 9 now plead with god to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hand will he accept you says the lord almighty offering god worthless sacrifices giving god your worst is risky business we we've got our values all mixed up don't we we fear people we give them our best even though they're just people And then we give God, who is the judge of all the earth, the eternal judge, the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, we give him our worst. Malachi is asking a a heart-searching question. Do you fear God or people? Who do you give your best to? That's the answer. And Malachi saying, take this seriously because God has no time for worthless, half-hearted religion. Verse 10, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. If God's priests are going to make a mockery of God, it'd be better if they didn't show up at all. God hates their contempt so much, he wishes the temple be locked, sacrifices stopped. But God is merciful and gracious, even though his people and priests mock him, although the temple is corrupted by defiled offerings... God has a plan for His name to be glorified, not just in Jerusalem, but in every place all over the globe. Verse 11, My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to Me, because My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Now, verse 11 is the key verse of this section. And so we're going to come back to it later, but for now, God's goal is global glory. But His people, His chosen and loved people, they don't care for His glory. Verse 12. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God's people don't care for his glory. The priests give God their worst. Sick, lame, roadkill is being presented to God. God's people have been shown incredible, immeasurable kindness and love by God. But instead of responding with true fear for God, they roll their eyes with contempt. Verse 14 talks about the fear of God. And we see this language again in, in verse 5 of chapter 2. Uh, Fear of God is something we struggle to get, because if you're afraid of something, you, you run away. If you're afraid of the dark, you keep a light on at night. If you're afraid of spiders, you get the pest man out regularly to keep them away. But fear of God doesn't mean staying away from him. Fear of God means we run to him. We come near to him in deep, overwhelming love. Your mouth drops, your heart pounds because you feel the bigness of the, the glory and love of God. Your heart is overwhelmed with joy because this God loves you. Uh, there's a great recent book on the fear of God. Uh, the title is Rejoice and Tremble. It's by Michael Reeves. He's also got a shorter version called What is the Fear of the Lord? You can read the book, it's great, but I just love the title, Rejoice and Tremble. That's what it means to fear God, to rejoice and tremble. Verse 14, God's plan, God's mission, he will be feared among the nations. His name will cause the world to rejoice and tremble. But in Malachi's time, God's people have no fear of God. They show contempt for God by giving their worst. There's no joy. There's no trembling. And the priests continue to give their worst by not only offering worthless sacrifices, but by also teaching lies. And so God will defile them. Verse 1, this is Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you I will rebuke your descendants, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival offer sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. That's a bit gross, isn't it? I just want you to sit with that image. Your stomach might have turned with this picture, God smearing. The priest's faces. It's a revolting image. But to ancient Israelite ears, it's worse. When an animal was offered as a sacrifice, the offal would be removed. I'm using a euphemism. You know what offal is. It was removed, taken outside the camp and burnt. So verse 3, God isn't only threatening something smelly. He's saying because of their unclean hearts, the priest should be carried out, taken outside the city walls and burnt with the rest of the filth. Which introduces a serious problem for God's people. Because God has made a promise, a covenant with Levi, with the priestly tribe. The covenant was they would forever be, forever serve as priests. But they've failed. They need to be taken out and burnt with the filth. They've failed. What is God going to do? Verse 4, And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. They're all synonyms for fear. True instruction was on his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from my way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Who is Levi? Levi is one of Jacob's 12 sons. So remember last week, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Jacob had 12 sons who became the heads of Israel's 12 tribes. The tribe of Levi was set apart as priests. They've got two jobs, offer blameless, worthy sacrifices and teach God's people the truth. And God chose the tribe of Levi to do this forever. Verse 4. Now, this covenant that's talked about here, it's not explicitly stated in the law of Moses. You read Genesis to Deuteronomy, you're not going to find covenant language applied to Levi. But in Jeremiah 33, God links his covenant with David to his covenant with Levi. And God promises an eternal king and an eternal priest. So this is from Jeremiah 33. It's up on the screen. Uh, This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David my servant and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. So what's God's promise? An eternal king and an eternal priest. So do you see the problem in Malachi's day? They don't have a descended a descendant of David, on the throne. They don't even have a descendant of Abraham. They're ruled by the pagan Persian Empire. And although they've got Levitical priests serving in the temple, they're a disgrace. They happily offer God the worst his people bring. They fail to teach truth. They fail to uphold God's law. God just wants the temple shut down again. And this isn't the first time in fact, throughout Israel's history, there have been moments of godly priests, but there have also been loads of corrupt priests, corrupt failures. So I think Mount Sinai, right at the beginning of the priestly service, Aaron, who became the first Levite consecrated as priest, Aaron builds the golden calf, leading God's people into idol worship. In the book of 1 Samuel, Eli is the priest, his sons are priests serving in the temple, but they steal from the sacrifices and they use their status to take advantage of women. And then we've got these priests in Malachi's days showing contempt. And that's just a sample of priestly failures. This is a serious problem. God's made a covenant, an eternal covenant with Levi, but priests continue to fail because of their failure, Malachi 2.1, God is going to curse them. Verse 3, he's going to shame them and make them unclean. In verse 9, they'll be despised and humiliated. God's people, God's priests have failed. And what's more, you and I, we know, even if God's people were offering quality bulls and goats, we know the, the blood of bulls and goats can never do the job. If you give an animal as a sin offering, how can it pay for the price of my sin against the holy God? If, if you give an animal as a thanksgiving offering, how can an animal be sufficient for everything God's done, for all of God's love for his people? Even if they're pure and spotless animals, even if the priests are the most holy of God's people, it's, it's not enough. As Isaac Watts wrote in When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too small. And he's right. What can we do? What chance do we have to be forgiven and be acceptable in God's presence? The good news is God has acted. God has graciously done what we need to do to deal with this problem. Now, the priestly system given through Moses was God's grace. The problem isn't God's law. The problem is God's people and God's priests. The problem is they're as sinful as everyone else. The problem is the contempt they showed God continually again and again. But the good news is Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, Jesus came as the best priest and perfect sacrifice uh, we read about this all the way through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is fantastic on this. We're just going to look at Hebrews chapter 7. So please find it in your Bible. Uh, if you are got uh, one of these church Bibles, it's page 841, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 23. It is great news. God has provided a perfect priest and a sacrifice of infinite worth. So have a look from verse 23, Hebrews 7:23. verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath, which came after the law, appointed the son who has been made perfect Forever. So, unlike the priests of Israel, Jesus doesn't offer an animal as sacrifice. Verse twenty-seven: Jesus offered himself, his own perfect, holy, righteous life. Uh, This is one of the reasons Jesus doesn't just materialize on Earth on Good Friday, die on a cross, and rise to life again. No, he lived an entire human life. From the moment of his birth, even his conception, always perfect. Jesus always lived God's way from beginning to end. And he did this not living in some kind of privileged bubble. No, Jesus faced all kinds of external temptation. 40 days in the wilderness, echoing Israel's 40 years. In their 40 years, again and again, they failed to obey God. But Jesus obeyed, even when personally, tempted by Satan. I think it's right to say Jesus faced greater temptation than any one of us. We face temptation, but the pressure builds just a little bit and then we give in. But Jesus resisted and resisted as the pressure pushed and pushed. The temptation kept ratcheting up, but Jesus never gave in. And so Jesus throughout his life remains perfect and spotless. And on the cross, he gives his own life as a perfect sacrifice. But more than this, Jesus' life is of infinite value. You can put a price on a prize bull. It's three bucks a kilo at market. But Jesus' life is of infinite worth. Because he isn't only a blameless human... But he is the fullness of God. Jesus, sorry, God didn't send an angel to be a sacrifice. He didn't send a holy man or a priest who lived real good. No, Jesus, the God-man, is the one who died for his people. Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice. And Jesus is the perfect and eternal priest. So look at verse 27. Unlike any other priest, every other priest, Jesus doesn't offer sacrifices for his own sin because he's got none. Unlike other priests, he never fails to be an example of honesty, integrity and wholehearted devotion to God. Unlike other priests, he never fails to teach what is true because he is the truth. And so since Jesus is a holy priest who offered a perfect sacrifice... Jesus is the fulfilment of the covenant with Levi. God keeps his covenant with Levi, but it's bigger. Not an ongoing trail of sinful priests, but Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, he takes on our humanity to be an eternal priest. Verses 24 to 25, Jesus has an eternally permanent priesthood. He eternally intercedes for his people. Uh, intercede means to stand in between, to be a mediator. This is what people mean when they say, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Because for everyone who trusts in Jesus, when, when we confess our sin, you can think of it as Jesus intercedes. He takes your sin to the heavenly throne and he says, hey, look at this sin. Oh, no, you can't because my perfect sacrifice has already paid for that sin. Actually, more than that, don't think of it as individual sins. But when you trust in Jesus, when you're joined to him by faith, when your life is hidden in Christ, it means your whole life, your sinfulness, has been completely and totally paid for by the infinite worth of Jesus. And this is why Malachi 1.11, across the globe, God's name will be great. Because it's through Jesus' sacrifice that anyone, whether Jew or Gentile, anyone can be brought near to God through trusting Jesus. Every human priest fails. They offer the seconds, the thirds to God. But in his grace, God gives himself. He provides the best priest and perfect sacrifice. And he does it so people like us from around the globe, as we receive his mercy in Christ, we might glorify God and make known his great name among the nations. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for Jesus, our great priest and perfect sacrifice. Help us see how much we need Jesus, how without a perfect sacrifice we would be stuck in our sins. Help us rely on Jesus, who eternally lives as our mediator and intercessor. Fill our hearts with true fear of you. May we tremble and rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray that your name would be glorified across the whole globe as people come to know Jesus as their priest and sacrifice. Amen.